Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? The power of language and how often we forget to pay attention to that power. Language is formative. We create the world with our words. Every year, Webster's or some other clever dictionary folk put out a list of new words that came into being in the last year. And I'm always both tickled and often slightly dismayed by the words that we create. And I get to do a lot of work in a field that largely didn't exist before, I don't even know, four or five years ago around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And many organizations are now creating positions, chief diversity officer or chief of inclusion or chief heart officer or our guest for today, chief civility officer. And I love it that we feel empowered to create new words as we are learning and growing and developing and leaning into really what does it mean to be human? And so we're going to explore one of those words for today, which brings me right to our guest. Sajel Thacker, as I said, is a chief civility officer. How great a title is that, y'all? Chief civility officer. And the way that she got here, I think, is beautiful. She began her employment career as an employment law attorney. And she spent more than 15 years advising clients and talking about human resources and issues and talking with human resources per personnel and advising legal counsel about sound and standard employment practices. And as she was doing all of that, in it uncovered a need in the workplace but also a personal passion within her for bringing more proactive, relevant, and impactful workplace training programs to the world of work. So she founded Train Extra. Her highly experiential, customized workshops 
tailored to executives, managers, and individual contributors. Bring the courtroom to the training room in an interactive, engaging environment that favors human stories over compliance checklists. And anything that's going to favor something over a checklist, I am down with. Welcome, Sajal. Thank you so much for that warm welcome, Janine. I am really looking forward to our conversation today. Ah, me So I'm going to begin the way that I usually do, which is by asking people, what is something that you have become aware of that people aren't paying attention to, either intentionally or unintentionally? And what's the cost of that inattention? I love that question. What a, what, when you tell me that's the question, I've, I've had so many different ideas of what I wanted to talk about, but I landed on this one. The world has changed a lot in the last couple of years. And our current climate right now is it's one where I feel like people are having a real hard time talking about sensitive issues or topics, right? And so people aren't having the necessary conversations about certain things that we need to have, right? And so one of those is this term, you know, I like how you started off by talking about terms, but this term microaggression and what that term means and how we dismantle microaggressions from happening. People aren't having those conversations and we need to have more of those conversations if the goal is to really create spaces for inclusion, respect, for collaboration, right? We need to understand and address these interactions. And I was prompted to have this conversation with you because I went on a walk with a friend of mine the other day and he was reading one of my books. And I'm going to recommend this book to everybody here during our conversation. We're walking. And so he's been reading this book. And so I'm like, okay, so now after you read this book, and I'm going to tell you that I start using, I don't call them microaggression anymore. I call them subtle acts of exclusion based on this book that I'm going to recommend to everybody. He's been reading it and we're walking, we're talking about microaggressions and he used the word microaggression several times. And I'm like, wait, you know, before we continue the conversation, what does that mean to you? And he gave me this definition of just rude behavior that people experience. And right there, I knew I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about with you. This is like literally when I texted you yesterday, I said, this is what I'm going to be talking about. Because here you are reading a book about it and you still don't understand it. We need to talk about this, Janine, and get it out there. (laughs) Let's go for it. So when you think about microaggressions, and this is a word, again, this is a word that didn't really exist before a few years ago. And I think of that word very much in the context of it might be something that somebody is doing intentionally. It might also be something that somebody is doing unintentionally. But the outcome is that somebody else feels less than. That's kind of my working definition of it. But I've done zero research around this word. So help me out, Sajel. Yeah. So the term microaggressions actually originated in in the 70s by the Harvard psychiatrist Chester Pierce. But the term when it first originated was just talking about subtle behaviors that happen towards people, slights, insults, offensive behaviors that you take towards a Black person, African-Americans. That's how the term originated that ended up making them feel excluded because of their race. 
So that's how the term started. And then the term slowly over the years has gotten expanded to include all marginalized groups. So racial, gender, LGBTQ, your religion, your disability, you know. So any group that's marginalized, that's dealing with these everyday subtle acts of exclusion. And so that's what I call it now. And this is the book I'm going to recommend to anybody that wants to learn more. It's called Subtle Acts of Exclusion, How to Understand, Identify, and Stop Microaggressions by this author, Tiffany Jana, J-A-N-A, and Michael Barron. And I've read a lot of books on this topic, and this is the one that I like really using in, in some of the work that I'm doing. But I like the way she calls it subtle acts of exclusion versus microaggressions, because I'm all about vocabulary and words matter. So that was the perfect opening to our conversation. And sometimes what I've noticed in my trainings and they, you know, is that when you say the word microaggressions, it automatically creates defensiveness. I'm a good person. I don't intentionally. I'm not being aggressive. Exactly. Right. And so by calling it subtle acts of exclusion, it's acknowledging that these things are happening without your conscious awareness And they're tricky, challenging situations that are hard to navigate. And Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily your fault Mm -hmm. or your intention. It's that we are inherited. We inherited a society that's full of racism, sexism, for all kinds of folk, you know. So we have are in this situation. We've grown up in this situation. Our systems, our processes, our policies are ingrained with certain biases that we've inherited. And Mm -hmm. because of that, now we're saying things, doing things to other people of marginalized groups that we may not even realize is harmful because our intention isn't bad. But really the conversation is about the impact that Mm -hmm. it has on people. And Mm -hmm. unless you belong to that marginalized group, a lot of times you won't even understand why that's harmful because mm-hmm. you're, you haven't gone through that lived experience. And right. so we can talk about a couple of examples of how, you know, you might look at it and say, that actually is a compliment. That sounds like you're complimenting <laughs> that person. And then you ask that person and they're like, that's not a compliment. That mm-hmm. makes me feel like I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. So again, if the goal is for us to be more inclusive society, mm-hmm. inclusive workplaces, we need to talk about this more. We need to have these really difficult conversations and they're not easy. You know, I train on this topic. I speak on this topic and somebody will ask me a question and I'm like, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Let me, let's, let's talk about that offline. Let's work through that. Every situation is different. Mm -hmm. There's no one right way of addressing it. But the thing is, we all have to understand it so that we can do our part in helping dismantle those. Oh, I I love that. You know, and and when we think about workplaces that are inclusive. Organizations, just like they come to you, they come to me and they say, I want to do something about this diversity thing. (laughs) And my first question is, oh, okay, great. Why? And, you know, sometimes the answer is some version of, well, it's, it feels like everybody's doing it, or it seems like it's the right thing to do, or my probably least favorite. We're trying to get a contract and we've got to say that we're doing it because when they say that, it's usually that they're looking to check a box. They need to say to somebody, yes, we have done something on this. Yeah. The answer that I love is, well, 
in order to really have our people be fully engaged, in order to have our people be fully innovative, in order for our people to feel safe at work so that they can bring up great ideas, so that they can be the most collaborative and innovative and creative that they can possibly be. In order to reach the market that we're trying to reach, we've realized we need to be more inclusive. In order to attract and retain the people that we want to retain, we've realized we need to be more inclusive because then it's connected to who you are as an organization, what you're what you're about, what you're building, what you're creating. And then, you know, if you do have a chief civility officer, if you do have a chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer or chief of inclusion, then often they have the resources that they need in order to really do their jobs well. If you've hired those people, but you haven't figured out why it actually matters to you, it's really unlikely that those people are going to be successful. And it's the reason that of all the C-suite positions, that's the position with the highest turnover. And so... If you're out there and you're listening to us and you're thinking, well, I maybe should be doing something about this in my organization, I really want to encourage you to step back and think about why. Why does it matter? And this is part of the growing pains, you know? I mean, when you think about the facts of, I actually had a conversation with the CEO the other day, you know, where we're talking about training. They haven't done a lot in the diversity inclusion area. They've done their anti-harassment training every couple of years, but they haven't done anything. And I asked him that question, you know, about why, why was that, that they hadn't done it? And he said, we don't have any issues here. We don't have any problems with that. You know, we're primarily white, Caucasian, and we're primarily this. And I looked at him, I go, okay, that's great. It's wonderful that you don't have any complaints. But I said, number one, it, just because you haven't received the complaints or somebody hasn't filed a lawsuit against you yet, doesn't mean you don't have a problem, believe me. Right, so thank you, Miss Lawyer. It's hard handy because when you need an employment <laughs> lawyer, you can reach out to me. Or the other approach would be, that's wonderful. You don't have a problem. So let's be proactive right. and have these conversations now and make sure there's no problems. And of course, this conversation I had with him prior to my training yeah. and then during the training that I was doing, somebody raised their hand and it was very obvious that they were feeling that they couldn't speak up in certain situations, that HR wasn't taking these complaints seriously, or there was at least that impression, not to say they weren't, but there was that perception out there. And so at the end of the conversation, you know, afterwards we stayed on and he's like, okay, uh, we should talk about that. And I go, here's the thing, don't wait until there's a problem. Be proactive about it. And You may have no diversity. When you look around, you see everybody's white. That doesn't mean you don't have diversity, right? That's representational diversity. Right. That's one kind of diversity. Yeah, there's cognitive diversity. So you might have different personality types. You know, you might have different people who like have have different political views. So there's diversity on that. There's different kinds of, of what people like to do when they're not at work, what kind of music they like. These things, when you have people, when they look the same, is not the issue. That's why I think people get confused right. with the word diversity. Diversity means you just have people who are different from themselves. And so anytime you put different people together, it's going to create challenges. <laughs> and you have to work through those challenges. Like So what we're experiencing in this country is very much just us going through that growing pain of getting over that hurdle and saying, okay, we're not going to be just one way. We actually understand that it's better to have everybody that's already here be a part of this and who we're servicing, our customers, 
are global now. And if they're not, they should be. You'll be striving for that. Because now we're virtual. This global pandemic has changed the way that we do business. So unless you're going to continue working in your small little area and not, not care about what other customers need, and maybe they don't need your services or products, then you don't have to care about diversity. But how many companies are going to be able to say they fall into that small little (laughs) Most of us are, look at me, myself. I was traveling everywhere just like you doing these facilitations. Now I was training India a couple of weeks ago. I've got people all over the globe and I'm like, this is wonderful. I get to learn from other cultures and other countries and include these stories into the work that I'm doing. So I think it's very important to do this work to have these conversations, no matter how uncomfortable they are, because in order for us to, again, move the needle in that direction, we all need to be doing this together and there's no way around it, you know? And so, again, I'm really looking forward to kind of, you know, kind of breaking this down a little bit more so people know like what their roles are, what they should do, especially when they're dealing with microaggressions, which is just so huge. Let's get into that. Let's start talking about what these are, Mm -hmm. how to recognize it, how to recognize it if it comes out of your mouth, how to recognize it if it comes out of somebody else's mouth directed at you. That's pretty easy to recognize at that point. What do we do about it? Yeah. So, you know, like everything else, first step is awareness. Right. First step is really understanding the definition of what microaggressions are, which is what I said earlier. Right. Everyday insults, slights, these subtle behaviors that we do. Again, the other point I want to make about this, too, is we'll call them offensive behaviors. Okay, they are excluding marginalized groups. So they're not just your everyday rude interactions with each other. Right. So that's very different. The psychological harm that results to these marginalized groups is significantly more because they're already feeling excluded or there's systemic history behind it, racism. You know, we saw with the Asian hate stuff that happened, you know, when COVID started. So there's already harm that's happening to these marginalized groups, already feeling excluded. And then they're dealing with these everyday slights and insults. So it's adding Mm -hmm. insult to the injury. It's constantly reminding them that I'm not from here. I don't belong here. You know, like me, I was born here, right? My parents are from India. I was born here. But people have said, you know, go back to your country. And I'm like, this is my country. You You look so exotic, you know? And I'm like, right. Okay. So in your opinion, I'm exotic, but you know, it's what it is, is that it, sometimes it looks like a compliment, but underlying that comment, Mm -hmm. this is the hard part. This is what gets really tricky is that there's an underlying message that's being sent to the person that's receiving that, right? The subject. Yep. That expresses a prejudiced attitude or yep. belief towards that person. It has nothing to do with the intention of the person. Most of the times, Janine, these microaggressions or subtle acts of exclusion yep. happen by well-intentioned people who are actually trying to be inclusive, uh-huh. trying to connect. Uh-huh. But they're not understanding because they haven't been in that other person's shoes and they haven't right. gone through that journey So that's why the way that we handle these conversations is very different than how we might handle someone who's explicitly biased towards someone or racist or hateful towards somebody else. This is a very different conversation. And so that's why when I talk to people in my workshops about what do we do in these situations, I like to say we want to call that person in. Mm. We want to educate them. This is not Mm -hmm. about throwing that person on the bus or canceled <laughs> or any of that. Yes. Really saying, look, I care enough about this relationship, Janine, that I want to express to you 
that this is why it makes me feel the way it does. Mm -hmm. And then there's a way that the person responds and stuff, but it really has to be about awareness first. Mm -hmm. And then educating people and empowering people to have these conversations. Because if the organization's response right away, and I know you see this too, is punt it over to HR and let HR handle it. (laughs) Right. Please don't do that. HR's got enough on their plate. Like, unless it's like sexual harassment or something that's going to violate your policy, we want people to be able to deal with these situations on their own. Right. Right. Because again, it's not happening consciously. It's happening unconsciously. And so it's just about educating. And so every person in the interaction has a role to play there. Right. And so people need to know what that role is. Yeah. So let's say that you and I don't know each other and we're not friends, which would make me sad. But let's pretend for a minute that you and I don't know each other and we're not friends. And we are in a work interaction together. I'm still a woman because if I were a man, that it might also get a little creepy. But so I'm still a woman, but I don't know you. And I say to you, wow, so your name is interesting. I've never seen a name like that. And you are so beautiful and exotic looking. So I am, awkwardly, I am trying to connect with you. I am trying to connect with you. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop my part there. So then what might you say? Yeah. And let me add on a diff- just a little a scenario, right? Because Please, yeah. So one example we hear about a lot is that whole situation of, wow, that's an interesting name. Where are you from? Right. right. That's another one. Yeah. And, and bring this up for a reason. Because my response would be, it's Sajal, right? My name is Sajal and I'm from here. I'm from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Oh, but where are you really, really from? Right? Really like- <laughs> from right? And so, and again, that's why I don't like using the word microaggression because people yep. say, well, what's the big deal about that? What's the right. big deal? There's nothing micro about it because if I have to hear that every single day after a certain point, I'm going to feel like I don't belong here. Like I'm not right. welcome here. Right. That is the point that these don't happen just every one-offs. They're happening every day. Right. Right. I was born here. Right. So what difference does it make where my parents are f- from? Right. And it could be one thing if you're trying to get to know me and we're friends and we have that relationship. So it's not that right. we don't want people to connect. We're saying we want you to connect, but be aware that it could have that harmful impact on somebody. So as far as to answer your question, what can we do about that? So, you know, you were saying exotic, right? Again, for most people being called exotic might be a compliment, right? Like, but because of the fact that I know that it's directed at me, oftentimes because of my history, because of what I've gone through in my life, that leads me to feeling like I don't belong here. I was born here, but guess what? You know what? From you don't look people, like me. You don't have white skin. Right. So you are like this, you know, you don't belong here. You're subhuman, you know, like that's not what they're saying. Right. But because I'm not light skinned like you, that's yep. different or I, yep. I'm not a true American because of it. Right. So, again, it's very important to, for people to understand that. You may not even understand that. Even after I had this conversation with you, you might say, what is she talking what about? Is that? The point is, if we're going to have to continue working together. Mm-hmm. We have to eliminate the harm. So it's not about your intention. But if you know, now I've made it very clear to you, right? So the ways you could handle it, let's say if it was just me and you and there's nobody else. Yep. The rule here is generally, and every situation is different. I know you were friendly. I see you week to week. So right. I would feel comfortable saying, hey, you know, Janine, when you say that, you know, that I'm exotic, it kind of makes me feel like I don't belong here because I don't look like you. When I was younger, I was discriminated against. 
I've had people take notes to my locker telling me to go back to my country, right? So I can give you those examples and you would understand then most people are going to stop at that point because we're not trying to make people feel bad. Most people, right. I always say most people. And then it stops and then we're done and the harm stops. The point is, is that most people don't because I mean, I do this for a living. I'm choosing to share my story. Right. But a lot of because of the psychological harm that people feel. Right. It increases the stress in their lives. It lowers their emotional well-being. It causes depression, negative feelings. I don't belong here. I have to work harder. I have to prove myself. I'm never going to be good in an imposter syndrome. Like so much happens that. And their physical well-being gets impacted as well. Right. That they call it fatigue, like race fatigue. You know, I just don't have the energy to have to tell everybody all day long that story. Right. Like for black people, for them to do that, it's constantly reminding them of all of the slavery and everything that they've gone through. For Native right. Americans, it's reminding them that we took their land away. The land was taken away from indig- right. for Japanese Americans. It's like they were incarnate. So interned, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's constantly reinforcing that. And most of us are trying to forget about that. Like we're trying right. to get on with our life, right? right? So it just leads to fatigue in a lot of ways. Now, but if there was, a, it would be different. Let's say if you, me, and somebody else were in the conversation in the room with us. Great. Then. You know, I like to say in the book, they talk about like, how should we, words matter. And so yeah. how would we define everybody, right? So in that situation, you would be the initiator. You made yep. that comment. So you're, initi- you're initiating that comment. And then I'm the subject. Mm-hmm. And the person that's there is called the observer, mm-hmm. right? So now it's the observer's responsibility to intervene. Hmm. And if they do that, it's going to depend on the situation. They can right. do it right then and there, right? And again, we're, it's not about judging. It's not about making you feel bad. It's yep. really to kind of make you aware of the comment or the behavior. And that's it, really. Like, oh, Janine, do, do you say that everyone's exotic? Right? <laughs> right? Uh-huh. So it's, now you're like, it makes huh. you stop and think like, huh. Right. Why did do I, I, just do I ever use that word mm-hmm. with anybody right. else? Right. right. So it's to very much just make them aware of that behavior mm-hmm. and to get that person to think, or if it's something like worse, right? Like if it's something like interrupting somebody during a meeting, mm-hmm. right? You're interrupting the female, but you're not interrupting mm-hmm. the males. Right. Mm-hmm. So if it's something like that, you know, you, you might want to stop right then and there and say, Hey, you know, I would love to hear what you're saying. But Janine is making a very important point. And so I'd like to have her finish. Mm-hmm. Right. So now it's letting that person know, like, hey, you just interrupted her. And it's letting you know, I value you and I value your opinion. And I'm here. I got your back. Like, I'm going to be an ally. Right. So in that situation, the observer has two choices. The observer can intervene, like I just said, we should be doing. And we want to encourage everybody to do that. In that case, I'm an ally. Right. I'm recognizing what's going on. In the case where I don't do something, now we call that person the bystander, right? Mm -hmm. They're just watching. They're not intervening. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that in every situation we intervene, right? There could be situations where you fear retaliation. So you don't intervene right right there. So you can talk to the person afterwards, right? So you have to, every situation is different or you get help. You ask your aid, you get contact, you report it so somebody else can deal with it. But Mm -hmm. something has to happen Mm -hmm. in that situation. You know, we can't be silent. And inaction is just really not going to help the problem, right? And so the person I was walking with gave me a scenario where, you know, he plays hockey and he's in in some of these ice hockey rings around. So he hears a lot of locker room conversations. Right. And he mentioned the conversation that he heard, you know, with, I'm not going to say what was involved, but, you know, and he told me the situation and I'm like, wow, 
I don't know what you would do in that situation mm-hmm. because these people could come after you, right? Your, your health, your well-being could be in jeopardy. So, so again, this is why it's important for companies. And I know you're talking about this. So you're, we're like mm-hmm. broken records, you and I on this topic, <laughs> but creating psychological safety right? so that we could have these conversations, right? right. To be able to talk to each other about these things. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. And you're bringing up so many different things. I want to pivot for just a second, because certainly we have hundreds of folks who download each and every podcast, and we are now in 18 countries, and which I'm super excited about. I just found that out the other day. I know. And so certainly some of the folks who are listening to us, they may be solopreneurs, they may have, you know, all kinds of different jobs, they may be leaders in their organizations, they may not have yet decided to take up that mantle of leadership, because I know you and I both believe leadership has nothing to do with a title, it has to do with the place that you decide to take and stand in your organization. But I want to take it out of the work context for a minute. And I want to bring up an example that just happened to me the other day. And so I was with a very good male friend who is Black. And we were watching a television program. And these two Black women came on the show. And these were both larger Black women. And I'm a white woman. And I am a white woman who has struggled with my weight my whole life. And so these women came on and my friend said, oh boy, those girls have been heiferized. And I said, I'm sorry, what now? And I reached over and I paused the TV and I said, what? And he said, well, I told you about that conversation that I had with my coworker, who's also a black woman. Okay. And how, you know, this is a black man that I was talking to. He had been talking to a black woman and he had, in fact, told me about this conversation where she was recounting a situation with somebody. And and she said, and I told her, Heifer, I'm not going to do da, 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 da. And I said, "Okay, so I want to unpack this with you for a minute. My understanding And I could be wrong because I'm a white woman, but my understanding of when black women use that to each other, it's like me calling my best friend, yo, bitch. (laughs) I don't think she's a bitch. I mean, you know, she can be a bitch. We can all be a bitch. But, you know, I love her. I would slay tigers for her. So it is in that context, it's a term of affection. And I said, I think it's like that other black women calling other black women a heifer. And I don't think it has anything to do with their physical bodiness. And he said, yeah, I think that's right. And I said, okay. So when you just said that these women had been hefferized, mm-hmm. what you were doing was comparing them to cows. Mm-hmm. You were comparing them to large animals. You were saying, look at these fat women. He's like, no, no, because it's a thing in the black culture and you don't get it because you're white. I was like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I completely disagree. You know, and we ended up going around and around and around. And eventually I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's just watch the, let's just watch the program. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what think you brilliant woman, of, you know, about this? And of course, this is me as a white woman, theoretically, in a position of privilege, 
and him as a black man, theoretically not in a position of privilege. And so I'm just really curious about well, your thoughts about all of that. It's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> you can't be anybody there. And if you do, that's on you, you know, but you always risk, even if it's a friend. Right. I mean, I've had some friends, the same friend, you know, use that B word on me. And then <laughs> one of the times she used it, I was like, what? But I'm not, you know, like right. And it's all about right. what's going on in that situation. First of all, you shouldn't say that to anybody, right? So I'm not gonna tell me that anyway. Fair enough. But here's the thing. If it happens at work, right? A whole different scenario. Right. Whole different so scenario. At yep. work, even if you and I don't care and we call each other that all the time. Yep. Right. <laughs> we're doing it in public. And we're doing it in public, and somebody else walks by and right. we're not even talking to them. It's not even about that person. And now they file a complaint against us. Guess what? We can't turn around and say, but we're cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So yeah, no, not acceptable. And this is the problem. We've allowed things to go on. Right. Where they've become a normal part of the culture. And it's right. just should not be acceptable whether you're at work or you're not at work. But the point is at least at work, we can do something about it. Right now. <laughs> um, that's why I focus my efforts at in the work area, because yeah. I would love to change the entire world. But <laughs> I'll start small and then I'll get there. Okay. Let, let me see if I can fix this one problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> get to all the other ones, right? Like, Cause I got so much heat, you know, when the black lives matter happened, you know, and I was out there, I was like near like activist status, right? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was at every, I was speaking everywhere on this stuff and somebody like tried to call me out you know and they said like well what you're doing isn't really solving the racism in this country right and then I just I looked at him and I said well I disagree with the, I'm not saying that it's the solution for the entire problem of racism but as we all know the entire problem of racism is a massive problem there's lots of things that are going to solve that problem and I do believe what I'm doing is one of those pieces but I'm not saying that's the problem I'm trying to solve, right? I'm solving for civility, right? I'm, I want more civility in the world. So my solutions are geared at that, which I think are going to also help solve the bigger problem that that person was trying to do, right? And I was mm -hmm. like, and there's plenty of room for all of us to be coming at this problem with our own, what we bring to this conversation, right? And today, what we talked about is huge, Right. Today, we're saying, talk to each other. Let's communicate. Let's get to know each other. Let's not make assumptions about each other, you know, and don't call people certain things <laughs> no matter where you're at. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, one of the things I want to go back a bit, you had made a distinction about calling people in as opposed to calling people out and can you talk about that a little bit more, please? Yeah. You know, the whole thing that I started hearing about online, about canceling people, you know, right. you know, give it the program or you're canceled or yep. you made some statement like 10 years ago when you were drunk at a bar and now <laughs> we want you fired from your job right now. Right. Like it's yep. just out of control. It doesn't solve the problem. All it does is make some temporary noise. And then that situation goes away. You wreck some lives in the process and we are no better today than we were yesterday. So why don't we focus on long-term solutions? And so people have to be wanting to do this work. We can't shove it down in anybody's face, yep. right? Like I, as much as I would like to take a hammer and shove all this down, <laughs> it really does, it doesn't work that way. believe me, if I could, I would. 
but it requires us to make an intentional effort. Mm -hmm. And each one of us has to make that choice for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so how we convey our words, how we communicate, what words we use, like me changing my vocabulary from, I try not to use the word bias in my workshops. I use the word Mm -hmm. belief. So instead of saying unconscious bias, I use unconscious belief because when people hear the word bias, they get I'm not biased, right? I'm not a bad person. There's a stigma associated with that word because of what media has done. Same thing with microaggressions, right? And when I'm talking about that, I want everybody to pay very serious attention. But if I say microaggressions, people are going to tune out and sign out right then and there, right? And I lost some people. So now I like this subtle acts of exclusion because we've all felt excluded at some point in our life. So you're going to care about this conversation. So anyway, I think we just continue to do this work and not call people out. We call them in. We use these moments. They're hard for everybody. And that's not saying that certain people don't need to be penalized or punished or that policies don't have to be followed. That's not what that's saying. That's not saying you're off the hook. Right. All that's saying is, okay, you know, look, let's assume that we all have positive intention and let's try to approach this in a civil way, in a respectful way. And where even if the person has some sort of prejudice because of what they've gone through, right? You know, I talked about that in my TEDx talk. You know, they're also a victim of their own upbringing, just like I was a victim of my upbringing. So they've got their story too. So it's hard to see that when you're fighting each battle, right? So it's hard to see that when you're fighting each battle. But I always encourage people, look at the bigger perspective. Look at what, really like focus on what the end goal is and then just do your part in helping us get there. If we all did that, we'd get there. (laughs) Or at least, you know, we're getting there. I'm seeing stuff happen right now. Right. So I'm enjoying that I'm seeing some of it. Now, some people are saying, we're never going to get there. It's happening too slow. That's what you're going to see more of then, you know, but if you just say we're getting there and you're going to start having conversations with people and and things are going to just start to happen, but we all need to do our part. So thank you for creating the space for me to be here to talk about some of these issues that you can see I'm obviously passionate about. (laughs) And thank you for making me laugh. That was awesome. I love it. Absolutely. And you're welcome. I think that humor is one of the best ways when things, you know, because man, these conversations can get hard. They can get triggering. They can get uncomfortable. And the more that we can assume positive intent, which you just said, I want to just underline that, assume positive intent, have grace, have grace for ourselves and others, call people in instead of calling them out. I think that these are some of the key elements in our opportunity as humans who are on this path of practice. And when we're learning something new, when we're practicing, sometimes we're not going to do so good. And sometimes we're going to fuck up and sometimes we're going to say the wrong things. And, and if we assume positive intent, if we assume, you know, which is why I paused the TV when he said that, I was like, wait, what? Because I was assuming positive intent. Mm -hmm. I know he loves me. And so like, where are you coming from here, buddy? (laughs) If we assume positive intent, have some grace, Remember to have some humor because it can all get hard. And so if we remember that we're all practicing and that we're going for progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. And get support, get support, you know, like our community, the Wednesday group that we go to, it's our support network. You know, I mean, I literally try to schedule my week that day around that meeting 
where I've said, I'll do a training starting at seven, as long as we get done by this meeting, because I really enjoy seeing everyone there and that community. So it's just, just like, get help. This is very, it, it does cause fatigue. You know, I literally had to like go off the grid for a week in December where I was like, I'm not checking LinkedIn because I'm just tired, you know? And so, but just, there are so many people that are doing everything you, you summarized so wonderfully, Janine, they're doing that. And so just find those people, they're everywhere and, and just surround and be intentional about spending more time with those kinds of people, you know? I love that. And I was reading a book last night that was talking about women and money. And one of the things that it was it was talking about was whatever it is that we're up to in the world, if it matters, we can't do it by ourselves. We need to create a tribe, create a group, create a club, create a squad, you know, <laughs> however it works in our lives, you know, develop relationships with wonderful, wonderful people that you enjoy, that you connect with, that you can be yourself with, and that you can say, you know, man, I did this thing that I'm feeling crappy about, or I said this thing, or I'm really struggling with this thing that happened, or where we can be honest and genuine and show up as our true selves and then be seen. Oh my God. True selves. Did you see my LinkedIn post this morning? I did not. Okay. <laughs> After we get done here, the song I posted I won't say anything. Okay, well, I will tell you. Okay, you have to watch it though. Okay, okay, I will. I've, I've said this to every person that we talked about, but it's because something about the conversation, what you exactly just said, is what this yep. song is about. And I'm going to imagine you dancing to this song. So I want you to message me later and tell me if you started dancing. So I've said this to three other people. Okay. I started off my day dancing with the chief of staff to the song, and again, it wasn't like I said, watch this song. Something right. in the conversation was like, this is me. This is my, she said the same thing. And I'm like, oh my God. So, <laughs> <you're the first laughs> today, right. we're, feeling, we're feeling it today. We're feeling if it. If I have your permission, I would like to put this LinkedIn post yes. in the show notes so That's that all of our listeners can go and find that. Would that be cool? Or you could just play it out loud right now and we can <laughs> listen to it together. <laughs> well, I don't know. Can I, do I know how to make that happen? Let's see. That would be amazing. It would be amazing. You're going to love this song. I know you. All right. <laughs> It'll make you happy. <laughs> can you hear it? Song. I can hear it. Oh, yeah, I can't hear it. But as long as you can, I can just watch your reactions. <laughs> there we go. I love this song so much. So this is me <laughs> from the greatest showman. Yeah is what we are listening to now. I have tingles on my legs from this. And I am going to dance around, but I am not going to um, to <laughs> penalize our podcast viewers or listeners uh, by waiting for me. But after the show is done, you and I are going to dance. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> for a minute all right so this has been a joy and a delight i've been trying to schedule this conversation for i don't know it feels like a year i'm so <laughs> glad we finally made it happen sagel thank you so much for your brilliance and your wisdom and your friendship and your discernment mm -hmm. i so appreciate you thank you for all of that 
Thank you. You're welcome. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Mm. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I'm beginning to think I'm beginning